0: Let's look at um, Exodus 14, if you have a Bible, grab it and turn with me, Exodus 14, and I want to talk to you about when your back is against the wall, when your back is against the wall. How many of you have realized getting saved did not deliver you from your back getting up against the wall in circumstances of life? Well, I'm going to deal with this for the next three weeks. It's so important what happened in this story. One of my favorite stories, Israel has been delivered from Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh let them go finally after ten plagues. They have made it to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changed his mind. He got his best horsemen and his best chariots and went after them. Now we're jumping in right here, Exodus 14 verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were what? Very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, listen to this complaining. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not what what we told you was going to happen? I'm paraphrasing here. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Let us go back into bondage. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses, loving leadership, said to the people, say it with me. What did he say? Do not be afraid. Then what did he say? Stand still. Then what? And see the salvation of the Lord. And he's going to accomplish that for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you're not going to see them anymore ever again. Now read the next part with me. The Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, because he apparently had been crying out some himself, uh, I love this, why are you crying to me? Essentially, you've got a rod in your hand, do something with it. And then I love what he said to the children of Israel. He said, tell the children of Israel to go backward, forward. Forward is God's favorite direction. Now watch. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray you will deliver us from a spirit of fear and give us faith. Now will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, change me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor, God's about to bless you. Get ready. Now in these passages... God gives three commands, and I want you to notice the commands because I'm going to take three weeks to deal with each command one at a time. Look what he said to them. They were in a dilemma that they saw no way out of. There was no way out. If if there was not a miracle, there was no way out. Their back was against the wall. Now look what God said to them when their back was against the wall. First thing, we've got to deal with your fear. Fear not. Because what is impossible for you is possible with God. So he said, fear not. I'm going to deal with that one today. But then I love the next one, stand still and see. I can't wait to preach that because not only stand still, but stand still and see. And then third, go forward. You know what that literally means in the Hebrew? Get moving. You ever had God tell you to get moving? Quit playing a violin and get moving. Quit throwing pity parties and get moving. The four lepers at the gate said, why sit we here until we die? Get moving. That's the third week. So let's look today at the first thing that God told them, fear not. You know, I talk to people very regularly who are dealing with fear uh, and anxiety, and anxiety is nothing but floating fear. You can have anxiety and not even know what you're anxious about. It's floating fear. But, But we all deal with it. People are afraid of all kinds of things, not having enough money, what other people are thinking about them. I realized a long time ago it doesn't matter what they think. It does matter what he thinks. But now they're afraid of public speaking like I used to be. I was terrified of public speaking. And how many of you can say he apparently set you free? (laughs) But I was terrified of public speaking, seriously. Or flying, I'm 95% delivered of that one, depending on who the pilot is and what he looks like, and the weather. Some people are afraid uh, of being far from home or spiders. I've seen great, big, burly men terrified of a little spider on the ground, arachnophobia. People are afraid of failure, afraid of rejection, afraid of losing a loved one, afraid of disease, pain, or death. We all deal with fear. We deal with all kinds of different fears. It's a universal battle we all experience, And many of you are dealing with it sitting here today. There's something making you afraid. And you know what I've seen? That God knows our struggles. And he's very aware of our struggle with fear. And you know what? He doesn't condemn you for it. And I don't condemn you for it. But I want to encourage you and share some reasons today with you for why you should not be afraid. And, and let me just start out by pointing out the obvious. God does not want you to be afraid. Now, that's just starting at base one, elementary, but, but God, who saved you through his son, really doesn't want you to be afraid. He doesn't want you gripped by or ruled by or tyrannized by or driven by fear. Did you know that fear not is the most common, frequent command in the entire Word of God? Fear not. Now, I've learned if something is in the Bible once, that's good enough for me. I need to do it. But if it's it's the primary command in the Word of God, then he's really trying to tell us, hey, I don't want you to be afraid. Some have said that fear not is in the Bible 365 times, one time for every day of the entire year. One author wrote that there are really 366 fear nots, one for every day of the year, including leap year. Now, me being uh, the way I am, I check this out, and and people have said to me, you know, that's a nice thing to say, Jeff, that there's 365 fear nots, but there's not. And you know what? Technically, they're right. There's not a single version in the entire Bible of the Bible anywhere where there's 365 fear nots. Hang with me. The King James Version, the authorized version, says fear not or be not afraid 103 times, not 365. But here's the deal. If you want to get technical, There's way more than 365 commands to fear not. Let me tell you how. Fear is spoken of over 500 times in the King James Bible. Not that we're King James only here. We're not. I'm just the authorized version. Jesus did not say, if thou wouldest, thou couldest. Some of you, that's news to you. He didn't speak in King James. But the King James, there's 500 times in the King James where it says uh, fear is spoken of. And in addition to the fear nots, the Bible teaches us to fear God. You know what fear God really means? It means reverence God alone and don't fear anyone or anything else. When you have a healthy fear of God, you are fear free of anything else. And then there's also all the verses that tell us not to worry or to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, Paul wrote. Don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will act like a sentinel, like a soldier standing guard over your heart, keeping fear off of you. That's the way it works. But if you add up all the fear knots and don't be, don't worry and don't be anxious and fear God, there's well over 500 of those. So over 500 times we're really encouraged as God's people, don't be afraid. And I love the Psalms because the Psalms are one of the best places to find the fear knots of the Bible. The Psalms, if you want to just look in the book, don't don't turn there, but I'm in the Psalms every day because the Psalms are God's soul book or book for the soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. The Psalms are written for our soul to train us that we would not respond to the adversities and problems and crises of life out of fear and worry but out of trust and faith instead. Take care of your soul by feeding your soul every single day. It's called soul care. The the Psalms are the book for soul care. Many of them are actual prayers to deliver you from fear. Psalms 56 is one of my favorite ones because David was, was, you talk about your back up against the wall, Saul had finally found him, and Saul had surrounded the city of Gath where he was. And there was no way out. You talk about your back up against the wall. His back was up against the wall. There was no way out. Saul had captured him. And fear was creeping up into his heart and seeking to seize control of his emotions. And David said, Nope, not me. I will not be afraid. And he wrote the 56th psalm. And listen to what it says When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. Now listen to these next five words. I will not be afraid. He's talking to himself. He's saying, self, because, you know, you talk to you more than anybody else does, and it matters what you say to you. Some of you, you talk yourselves into a hole all the time, and somebody else has to come and talk you out. Some of you dragged in here today said, preacher, you better talk me out. Because you have talked to yourself down. You have talked yourself down into a hole. But listen to what David said. He said, soul, I will not be afraid. He did this all the time. He said, soul, why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted within me, my soul? Hope thou in God for I will yet praise him. This is not the final chapter. I will yet praise him. The story's not over yet. I will yet praise him. My God has got something up his sleeve, and he's not going to leave me alone in this. I will yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. He said, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? If God is with me, what man can hurt me? If God be for us, who can be against us? All right? And then, of course, my favorite, Psalms 27.1. used to sing this one all the time, but I won't burden you by singing it. But here it is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble? The Apostle John said, fear is defeated by God's love. There's no fear in love, John writes, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. The more you fall in love with God, the more it dissipates fear. And I love the word. It it drives it out. Perfect love drives out fear. I picture God's love kicking fear out the front door. Fear or God's love drives out fear. And we all know what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, why are you walking around in fear? He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He's telling Timothy, this tormenting fear that is gripping you, he said, Timothy, it didn't come from the Father. God does not put fear like that on you. The only fear God's concerned about is the fear of the Lord, which is not dread, torment. It means respect and awe. Now, jumping back to Moses for a minute and the children of Israel, God's word to them contained the same sentiment when they, too, had their backs really major big time up against the wall. He said, first, first, got to deal with your fear. First thing, when your back's against the wall, fear not, Israel. You have nothing to be afraid of because I am with you. So first, no matter how bad the trial is, God does not want us to be afraid. Can we say this together? God doesn't want me to be afraid. Now, let's say it like we mean it. God doesn't want me to be afraid. Turn to your neighbor and say, God doesn't want you to be afraid. Now, the second thing about fear is this. When we're afraid, we need to remember something. The Lord knows your situation. The Lord knows your situation. Not only does he know the trial you're in, he knew your trial was coming before it ever arrived. That's the amazing thing about God. He knows the end from the beginning. So he not only knows the trial you're in, he he knew that it was coming before it got there. say, well, Jeff, why didn't he stop it? I'm going to get into that in just a second. I like to say God never says, oops, because he never makes a mistake. And he never says, well, I'll be, because he's never surprised. He's never surprised. Do you know, it occurred to me last night when I was getting this ready, going over it, God is never informed of anything. We go to God, oh, Lord, I'm in such terrible debt. I need $3,000 or I'm sinking. He never says, really? Why? Thanks for letting me know. Listen to what Jesus said, your father knows exactly what you need before you inform him. He's never informed of anything. We need to tell him, but he doesn't need to hear it because he already knows. One day, Jesus looked right at Simon Peter, and things were going great. He had scored major points with the Lord. Who do men say that I am? Well, some Elijah, some this, some that, some prophet, and... He said, But I want to know, my disciples, my twelve, who do you say I am? And Peter, you know what he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus just smiled ear to ear and said, Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Simon Bar Jonah, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, upon that rock, that revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You think Peter wasn't floating on cloud nine after that? I'm the man, I got the revelation. So here he is, he's, he's, he's the leader now, and Jesus suddenly wheels around to him and looks him right in the eye, says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, since most of us are not agrarian here, we don't understand what that means. They would take great big piles of, of wheat. And ram a pitchfork into it and throw it up into the air with a violent motion so that the wind would blow through those wheat, uh, those, those grains of wheat that had chaff around them, and the wind would blow the chaff, the unnecessary chaff, off of them so that pure wheat kernels hit the ground. That's sifting like wheat. Do you know what Jesus is telling Peter? He's saying, Peter, you've been targeted, and your life is about to be essentially, as it were, thrown up into the air, and there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on in your life, Peter. And when you hit the ground, some shaft, some unnecessary stuff in your life that needed to go is going to be gone. We wonder why the Lord doesn't protect us from some trials. You know why? He wants shaft off of us, th- those old ways, the old thinking, th- those, that strong will, the things that, that, are, that are, are not necessary to the kingdom of God uh, manifesting through us. It needs to go. And so when we go through a sifting time where we are thrown into a trial and we say, oh, Lord, you know, where are you and how is this happening? But what's, what's going on is, The wind of trouble is blowing the shaft off of you so that when you hit the ground, pure wheat. Okay? Yeah, you're getting it. The pure kernels of wheat fall back to the ground. You know, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown in that burning, fiery oven, they were bound. They were bound. Their hands were tied. Their feet were tied. And the only thing the fire burned off was what was binding them. That's all that God allowed that fire to burn off. And they came out unbound. They came out jumping and leaping and praising God and the whole kingdom of Babylon shaken by their God. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're about to be tested in a way that is going to throw your whole life into the air. You're about to experience some shaking, Peter. But but here's even more, and this is what gets me. Jesus also knew full well that Peter was going to fail the test. He knew. Peter, you're going to fail the test. Peter, the rooster is not going to crow until you have denied me, even knowing me, even being acquainted with me three times. Now, watch this. The Lord knew that Israel had their backs against the wall. He, he wasn't unaware that Pharaoh Pharaoh's coming up behind them and the sea is in front of them. And he also knew that Peter was about to have his own back against the wall. It just hadn't happened yet. And he knows all about the trial you're in right now. Listen, he knows about your stresses He knows about the pressures you face. He knows the needs you have. He knows the battles you're fighting. He knows the temptations you're facing. Nothing goes past the all-seeing, omniscient eye of God. Nothing. But here's where it gets even better. Here's what I want to encourage you. The third reason the Bible gives us for not being afraid is the Lord will fight for you. Now, now this I want it to go from your head to your heart because the Lord will fight for you. Moses turned around and told the people, he said, the Lord's going to fight for you. Here's why you can fear not, and here's how you can stand still and see because I want you to know that the Lord is going to fight for you and you are going to maintain your peace. You might be afraid now, Israel, but you will soon experience the quietness of peace because God's going to fight for you. Isn't it cool that not only does he know our situation, but he doesn't say, well, good luck in your trial. But he says, no, if the enemy touches you, the enemy touches me. If the enemy attacks you, the enemy attacks me. And when you come under assault and you go into the burning, fiery oven or you walk through a deep, dark valley, the Lord says, I am going to be with you and I am going to fight for you and you will hold your peace. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm not going to leave you there. Let's go back to Peter and his impending trial of betrayal for just a moment. The Lord's word to Peter struck me as I studied this this week in a fresh way. It's a perfect example of the reality of spiritual warfare. You know, the devil's biggest lie is that he's not there. He loves being anonymous. That's his biggest lie. But what Jesus said to Peter shows us the reality of spiritual warfare because I want you to notice that Jesus was fully aware of a satanic assignment hatched in hell against his top disciple. You think you don't matter to God? Oh, you matter to God. And when the enemy, even when the enemy even thinks or decides or, or starts to, to birth or spawn an assignment, to hurt you or damage you or destroy you, Jesus already knows about it. The captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, possesses all-knowing, all-seeing radar equipment that exposes every move the enemy makes. He always has top-of-the-line intel. He knows what's coming against you, your children, your family, your finances, your marriage, your health. He knows. And knowing what the enemy was up to, look what Jesus said to Peter. He fought for Peter. He went to battle for Peter in the only place that really matters, the place of prayer. Look what he said to Peter. He he, he wants to sift you like wheat, Peter. He wants to throw your life into the air. He wants to really come after you. But Jesus said, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, you will strengthen your brethren. Now let me share something with you. What was the devil after? What's he after when he comes against you and me? Uh, let me tell you. People say, "Man, last night the devil gave me a flat." I'm driving home. I got a flat tire. The Devil gave me. The devil didn't give you a flat tire. You ran over something. He's not out to make something go bump in the night or give you a flat tire or whatever, put somebody slow in front of you <laughs> in rush hour. The devil, that's just the devil. That's not the devil. Let me tell you, the devil is after your faith. He's after your faith. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. Literally, I'm praying, Peter, that you don't lose your faith in what you're about to go through. I pray you don't lose your faith. He's after your faith because if he can get your faith, he can take you out of the race. He wants you to say, God doesn't care. God's not there. Where was God? He didn't come through for me. My prayer didn't work. Why did he leave me alone? Why didn't he help me? And he wants you to walk away from God. That's what he's after. He wants your faith. I pray for you, Peter you, Revelation man, that your faith will not fail. And then Jesus even lets him know that he knew that he was going to fail the test because he said, the day is going to come you're going to have to repent and you're going to turn to me again. And when you turn to me again, Peter, here's what Here's what it's gonna be like. He said, he said, the shaft is all gonna be gone and you're gonna have double for your trouble. I'm gonna make you, not only, I'm not only gonna restore you, but I'm going to cause you to be a strength to your brethren. You're gonna come back and then some. Amen. Yeah. Devil's after your faith. I talked to somebody just recently. They went through a terrible trial and their faith was under attack. Where was God? How did, did, did he not help me? And I had to minister the word of God to them, and it happens to people all the time. Job's wife said to him, Why don't you just curse God and die, you old fool? Where is he? And Job said, You talk like a foolish woman. Have I not only received blessing? Should I not receive evil from the Lord and not, just, and not just good? He said, I will not curse God. I will not lose my faith in the middle of this trial. I will not. Jesus engaged in spiritual warfare for Simon, heading the devil off of the past, canceling the satanic assignment that was designed to take Simon out for good. Of course, when Peter heard Jesus' prediction, he immediately displayed the whole reason he needed to go through the trial in the first place. He said, not me, Lord. Who who are you talking to? I'm not going to deny you all of them might. He turns around to the 11. Thanks a lot, Peter. They might, but not me. I'm your man. I'm in. I'm in for the long haul. And look at how he bragged. He said, Lord, I'll go to prison with you, and I'll even die with you. But Jesus knew him better than he knew himself, and he said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're deny me, you will deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even knew me. That's the word for knowing in the Greek language, that you were even ever acquainted with me. You're going to totally di- disattach from me three times. And we all know that he, he fell, he failed the test. John was the apostle of love. Peter was the apostle of recovery because he went down bad. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then the third time, cussed, cursed, swore. I don't know him. Down he went. He went out. Remember what Jesus said about the rooster? And he he just, he wept bitterly. Down he went. He walked away. He went back to his old life. I'm going fishing. It's over for me. He'll never forgive me. There's no future for me after this. I'll never come back. He was wrong. Jesus set up an interview with him. Jesus said through the angel, tell the disciples I'm going to meet them in Galilee and Peter Those two words should give you all the hope in the world. He said, you be sure you let Peter know I'm talking to him. Well, that was an interview. That was an interview. So over a crackling early morning fish fry, Peter, do you love me? Oh, I do love you, Lord. Do you love me, Peter, really? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you even love me as a friend? Yes, I love you, Lord. You know that I love you. Quit asking me this question. (laughs) You know that I do. He said three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, restored, 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 recovered, recovered, recovered. And look, his faith wasn't lost. Jesus' prayer was answered. Why didn't the Lord deliver him from the trial as, as a whole? Because after this, you don't find the braggadocious Simon Peter full of bravado and self-confidence and self-reliance. You find a humble man just going through life, serving the Lord, walking down Jerusalem streets while people are healed by his shadow. You don't find the braggadocious. The shaft was blown off. Amen? So let's stand together, can we? Fear not. Fear not. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Some of you have gone through a trial, and in that trial you have said, you know, you're like Peter. You, you didn't pass the test, and so you've walked. You've walked. Essentially, you're out there fishing again in the old life, and you're not catching anything. And so I want to pray with you today. I want to invite you to come home. Some of you have never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. I prayed last night because I know that no man can come to Jesus unless the Spirit draws him. And I prayed, Lord, by your precious Spirit, draw people today. Give them the ability to respond to you. Touch their hearts. So I'm going to pray a prayer right now. If God has touched your heart, if you know you're not where you used to be in your walk, come home. If there's a question mark in your mind about whether or not you've ever come to know Jesus, come to him today. He loves you. I love you. He wants to wash you clean. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me we failing that test and drifting out of discouragement. Lord, I come home today. And now for those of you with a question mark about your salvation, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Go ahead and pray it. He's as close as your prayer. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Coming into my heart today, Jesus, I pray in your mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.